friends are essential, aren't they? Family, of course, is your first form of defense, the front lines of our support systems. But we don't have the luxury of choosing these individuals. There's no scouting or draft process. We are born with these folks, or give birth to them, so the relationship is formed automatically. This isn't to say that family is infallible. Every family has problems. Unsurmountable issues that stem from divisive stances like political ideologies or matters of faith. Holiday meals are often interrupted or ruined due to differences of opinion, yet the familial bond remains. We may not like our siblings sometimes, or argue with parents, cousins, about the future of our country, but as a general rule, in times of need, you can probably still reach out to each and every one of them for help. Friends, more specifically close friends, however, aren't a given. These relationships take time and patience. How often do we meet people that we think are a match, yet after spending more than one evening with them, we realize they just aren't our cup of tea? This isn't an offensive realization, there's no shame to it, but rather an acknowledgement that personalities or interests are just too disparate. So it is those special people, the true and best friends, that make it through the first round of cuts. They are on your team just as much as you're on theirs. These sorts of friendships can withstand the immaturity of youth, the reckless behavior of your 20s, and the period of self-examination in your 30s. When a solid platonic connection is made with another, they become, in the words of Joni Mitchell, as constant as the Northern Star. We depend on them, sometimes more so than family, because they often feel more like our blood than our physical next of kin. But therein lies the problem. They aren't blood. They have no ingrained attachment of lineage and shared ancestors that drives them to help in times of need. Of course, most true friends will help and bless them for it, but there is no inherent drive to do so. So when does it become too much? What breaks these rare connections? Most friendships can withstand arguments, lies, hurt feelings, and over time the wounds will heal. But there are a few taboos that usually always sever ties. Adultery comes to mind first, the devastation of finding a best friend in bed with a spouse. Or how about theft? These are all about the lack of trust, the taking of something that your friend knew full well would be brutal for you. In an instant, your partner, your dignity, your support is gone. But what else can push a friendship to the breaking point? What else beyond matters of sex and property can snap that bond? How about even unintentionally putting your best friend in harm's way? Or asking them to be in a situation that shakes their core beliefs, makes them question everything they felt to be foundational in their existence. Is that enough to break your connection? And if so, 
once they flee, do we blame them for it? Do we resent them? After all, they aren't bound to you by blood. So when it becomes too much, do we resent them for leaving us alone once again? Ladies and gentlemen, the doctor is in, and the haunt is on. Chapter 15 Kyle wasn't breathing for long enough that Kate had begun working out scenarios for what she would tell the police when they showed up, and long enough that she began to feel unbelievable anger that it had come to the point where she needed to conjure a scenario, a false story about the death of Denny's best friend. She thought, fuck this house. Denny had begun performing CPR and was on the second round of mouth-to-mouth -mouth when Kyle coughed and sputtered like an old engine, then lifted himself onto an elbow. Whoa, at least buy me a drink first, man. This was the standard sort of response from the men in Kate and Megan's lives, a joke or a sarcastic remark to cover up the discomfort or vulnerability they were feeling. Only this time, it was obvious Kyle's heart just wasn't in it. He took hold of Megan's hand. The room looked to be housing survivors of a disaster, with their shell-shocked expressions reflecting the interior struggle to make sense of everything. What happened? Kyle asked. You weren't breathing. I started feeling lightheaded when I touched that ID, Kyle said. Then his eyes widened, memory coming over him hard and fast like a fever. Suddenly, he snatched his arm away and scooted backward on the concrete, away from Megan. Kate could see him shaking, like the temperature had dropped drastically in that moment. Voice ragged, he pointed at his fiancée and said, You. Me? Megan asked. Me what? You were choking me. Everyone, even Kate, stared at Megan. She backed herself against the wall and actually put her hands up, like a cartoon criminal faced with a firing squad. No, no, I... She began, then looking at Kyle... What are you talking about? I wouldn't. When? Megan's speech became choppy, quaking. The tears were coming. Kate knew the symptoms of feeling overwhelmed, confused, and the onset of racking sobs. See, Denny, Kate said. I told you it was no dream. I, Denny began, but his thought fizzled, and he switched his gaze around all the pairs of eyes that were now on him. Kate felt a pang of guilt for throwing her husband under the ghost bus, but she felt like she had to defend her friend and let out her own vindication. Even when she'd relayed her experience with the decaying Joan thing to Megan and Kyle, then again to the Green Sisters, she still felt like no one believed her. Doing so felt good in that moment. It seemed to be helping to keep her upright. It's not his fault, Kate continued. Heartbeat still elevated. Her knees felt brittle. The house makes us do things, see things. What did you see? Aaron asked, the same discernible tremble in her voice as everyone else's. Kate saw that she was holding her sister's hand. Both had hunched shoulders, 
as if bracing for an attack, and they were standing as far away from everyone else in the room. Even their tech guy was out of reach. Kate first thought she should lie, soften her own reaction. This was an old habit, to lessen the attention, to divert it elsewhere, to act like she was strong and that this was no big deal. But it was. Good women, good wives, don't make waves. Her counselor had tried to burn this archaic thought process out of Kate's mind, to remind her that her feelings were important. Splash around all you want, Jeanette had said. If you're feeling overwhelmed, making waves is sometimes the only way to get people to pay attention to you. This doesn't make you weak. But holy shit, did she feel like glass right then. Everyone was dead, except Denny. Or they looked like they were, Kate said. Lying around the floor, and there was blood. Denny was covered in it, and he was smiling at me. She was careful not to look at her husband as she said this. In her mind, his chipped tooth smile, lit by some unknown source, overlaid with the memory of him straddling her on their honeymoon like trick photography. Two images of her husband combined to create something she couldn't recognize. But she did. She did know this monster. This face smiled out from the square photo still resting in the center of the room. I'm sorry, Kate, Denny said though it was obvious he had no idea what he had to apologize for. I saw the same thing. There was blood all over. Denny looked around the room, as if he were checking again that what he'd seen really was an illusion. I saw beyond the wall, Pam said, pointing at the plywood behind Kyle and Megan. Me too, Aaron said. What's back there? I told you already, Denny said. Just some junky old furniture. What else? The sisters asked in unison. Nothing, just unfinished floor, dirt, rock. Sort of rises with the grade of the house. That's it, Aaron said. Someone was back there, on that grade. Crawling upward, her sister added. But it was as if the slope was much greater than it appeared, like they were scaling the sheer face of a mountain. Who was it? Megan asked, her voice barely above a whisper. I don't know, Aaron said. Our candles were swallowed up by something. I could only make out a shadow. I'd like to leave now, Alex said, rising from his chair. He strode toward the door, then into the backyard. Kate had a fleeting desire to follow him. Just get in the Xterra and make him drive her far away from the house, as far as possible, back to Wisconsin. Kate thought of her mother and yearned for her to take over, to tell Kate that this was all okay that she had handled it. No one commented on the tech guy's departure. Instead, Aaron went on. Then the figure just started sinking, like down into the ground, like quicksand, until the space was empty again. Mine was different, Pam said. The shadow seemed to dissolve, like it melted down, being broken apart, absorbed back into the earth. The group was still, quiet, each of their minds trying to make sense of not only what they'd seen, but what everyone else had. It was as if the clues were scattered between the individual nightmares. Outside, Kate could hear their sliding glass door open, then close again. Megan, Pam said, what did you see? Me? she asked, then stuttered, N -n nothing 
Nothing at all. Everything just went black. Then I heard Kate screaming. Next thing I knew, the lights were on again. I flipped him on, Denny said. We all saw something, Aaron said. Why didn't you... What the fuck are you talking about? Don't grill her, Kyle said. This isn't happening. Melting shadows, my fiancé choking me, none of this is real. Then, with Megan's help, Kyle got to his feet. His outburst seemed to be how everyone else was feeling. He had just hit critical mass first. Denny's expression changed then, hardened. He's right. This is ridiculous. Kate could see the two men simultaneously shutting down the feeling parts of themselves while feeding off of each other to form a united front. Made sense. It was easier to lash out than accept the irrational. Find a scapegoat. Isn't that how human beings operate? Right then, Kate wanted to join them. Did you do something to us? Kyle demanded. He shook off the calming hand Megan had placed on him. Is this all part of your show? We have no show. We were doing the same things you were, Pam said. The sisters began sliding to their right, inching closer to the door. I bet you drugged us, Denny said. That's it, isn't it? You put something into our drinks upstairs. Was it the coffee or the beers? I assure you, Aaron said, her voice having lost any trace of tranquility. We did nothing of the sort. Kyle and Denny were closing the distance between themselves and the sisters. Their faces were flushed. Denny pulled at the collar of his shirt as if it were clinging too tight to his neck. Everything was fine before you showed up, Denny said, and Kate was taken aback by this. Everything most certainly was not fine. What was he talking about? We didn't just show up, Pam said, the last dregs of her own resolve fading with the words. It was your friend who called us. Can we all just calm down? Megan asked. Don't put this on him, Denny said, and wrapped an arm around Kyle. This is my best friend. I love him. He'd never poison me. We didn't put... I can't believe I let you into my home. And you try to make fools of us, Denny said. Again, I assure you that... I assure you, Kyle shouted, cutting Aaron off, that we will not... Just let this go. From either side of the scene, Kate and Megan locked eyes, yet both women felt frozen in place, like something was holding them back, preventing them from getting involved or putting a stop to it. But really, did Kate even want to stop it? This was worse than most of what the house had thrown at her. Maybe they had dosed them all with something. If nothing else... The door to the other side had been cracked, and these women came in and just kicked it wide open. Denny and Kyle's hands were flexing, clenching, and the sisters were still backing away, getting closer to the door. The only thing that stood between them and the backyard was Kate. Her choice was clear. Either stay where she was and allow the women to escape, or get in their way, prevent them from leaving so they could answer for what they'd done. Kate shook her head feeling clumps of sweaty hair slap her face and neck. What they'd done? The hell am I doing? Dennis, Kate said, and stepped in front of Kyle. She took hold of her husband's face and turned it toward hers. Pump the brakes, okay? Anger flashed in his eyes. She'd never seen that sort of ferocity in him before. In a low voice, almost a growl, Denny said, 
Let go of me. Kate thought he was going to pounce on her then and there, begin tearing at her like a feral animal. But he turned his attention to the now empty doorway. Her distraction worked. The Green Sisters had slipped out. She could hear their shoes slapping on the wooden stairs leading back up to the house. In the same instant, their dogs began barking. This appeared to break the spell. Both Kyle and Denny looked around as if not sure how they got to the other side of the basement. Kate left them in their confusion and went out. The barking was coming from the pool, but was cut short. The gate was wide open. The other three came out behind her and Denny said, Kyle, you guys go upstairs and watch them. Then he and Kate went into the pool area. It took their eyes a minute to adjust from the fluorescence of the basement to the soft, star-shaped patterns of the solar lights. But after a moment of searching, Kate spotted the dogs near the corner of her fence, just behind the shed. Come on, girls, she said, finding it difficult to put any enthusiasm into her words. Get over here, Denny said in the stern alpha tone that usually motivated them. But neither dog moved. They seemed to just be lying in the patchy grass. Kate's heart sank. Are they okay? Denny whispered. I don't know. Do you want a treat? Kate called, using what always worked. Still, the dogs were motionless. Stay here. I'll go get them, Denny said. And before Kate could protest, he was striding around the rim of the pool. Kate started after him, but didn't like having the exit so far behind her. So she stopped halfway between the gate and where the dogs were. She watched Denny kneel down next to them and slowly place a hand on each of their bodies. There was movement above her husband, and Kate saw an opaque shape floating just above the fence. It seemed to be growing out of the leaves and branches. In the pool's light, the shape twitched, morphed, then slid over the wooden slats until it was looming directly over where Denny knelt. The air was still, and the cicadas were mute. There was only the sound of Denny murmuring to the dogs. And Kate gasped, realizing it was a face staring down at Denny. Hearing her, Denny gazed back at Kate, then toward where she was pointing. He fell out of sight and hit the shed with a thud. Sorry, 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 a woman's voice said. I didn't mean to scare you. Kate found herself jogging over and saw that the specter hovering over the fence was just their neighbor. The one they'd met at the garage sale and still hadn't taken the time to bring cookies to. Sharon. What are you doing? Denny asked. I was just, just checking, Sharon said. Kate helped Denny to his feet, and the couple watched their neighbor cringe, then put a hand over her mouth. Hi, Sharon. Checking on what? Kate asked. Well, Terry and I were out back here, and just watching the moon rise, and we heard screaming. Sounded like you were screaming, dear. Then a whole lot of barking, more than normal. They were shuffling at their feet. The dogs stood up, shook, then ran off as if given the command to. Is everything okay over there? It sounded like your husband might have been killing you. Kate felt Denny's body grow rigid next to her. The woman was probably joking, however misguided it might have been, and there's no way she could have known what sort of nerve that would strike with them, so Kate did her best to sound receptive. Oh, that, um, we've got some friends in town. We were playing a creepy board game. Must be some kind of game that made you sound like that. 
You should invite us over next time, Sharon said. We love games. Oh, we will. I, I just guess I got myself a little worked up. You're telling me? I almost made Terry jump over the fence and check on you. We appreciate it, Denny said. Kate recognized how hard it was for him to keep his cool. But everything is fine over here. No, sir, Kate thought. Everything is far from fine. Well, again, I'm sorry for scaring you. I nearly knocked the daylight all the way out of you. How's your head? Nothing a little whiskey won't cure. Let me make it up to you. Come over for supper this week. That sounds wonderful, Kate said, doing her best to end the conversation without creating any suspicion. Haunted or not, they still lived in this house, and they couldn't afford to have the neighborhood thinking they were lunatics on top of everything else. Kate added, I don't have your number. No need, Sharon said. Stop by any time. Good night, friends. With that, the woman disappeared down into her own backyard. Kate said a quick good night, then her and Denny hurried away. When they got to the top of the steps, they saw Roxy and Echo at the sliding door, noses pressed against the glass, their tails tucked securely between their legs. The couple joined their dogs and stared inside their house. None of them were able to process the scene before them. Kyle, Megan, and the Green Sisters stood in a half circle, hands folded together, or shoved into pockets like they were antique store shoppers worried about their own clumsiness. Alex sat on the floor near them, turning one of his recorders over in his hand. His expression like that of a child who'd just discovered his favorite toy was snapped in half. All around them was ruin. Chairs were overturned, books and records spilled out from their shelves. More than a few of the vinyl discs snapped into pieces. The ceiling fan swayed with exposed wires as if someone had hung from it for too long. Paintings and framed concert posters that once adorned the walls were scattered around the floor and what seemed like thousands of shards of glass twinkling on the hardwood. Mixed with the glass were countless pieces of kibble, as the plastic container which housed the dog's food lay cracked, tipped over as if it had been thrown from one room into the next. Denny went inside first, and Kate joined him. They slid the door closed before the dogs could follow. This is what they'd heard. This was the earthquake. Saying nothing, Kate and Denny diverged, going into different rooms, Denny into the parlor, while Kate took the kitchen. The room, too, was in shambles. The toaster oven was bent, mangled on the tile floor. Shards of porcelain lay in heaps around the appliance, as if someone were tossing coffee mugs at it. Bags of tortilla chips and trail mix looked like they'd exploded all over the counters. The pots and pans hung beneath one shelf were still swinging clanking into one another, as if still feeling the vibrations of the earth. But then Kate noticed something. One stack of plates had disintegrated on the tile, while another rested peacefully on the open shelf. The glass carafe was intact on the warming cradle, stale coffee still sitting in the bottom. Her KitchenAid stand mixer was in order, plugged in and ready for the next batch of banana bread. Remembering the horror of their previous fridge, Kate yanked open the stainless door, expecting to see rot and mold, but everything was fine. Nothing tipped over or broken. Nothing spoiled. Denny came into the kitchen. Lamps are history, and every one of our wall frames are in tiny pieces, but the TV's fine. So is the stereo. This was no earthquake, Kate murmured. No, she thought. 
This was more like someone had come in with a baseball bat and chose destruction at random, not for robbery or any other specific purpose, but to send a message. Do you feel like believing us now? Aaron asked from the other room. Obviously, there's no way we could have done all this. When everyone was in the same room together, Denny and Kyle gravitated toward each other, their heads hung low. They said, we know. They were acting like little boys who'd been caught sneaking out or brought home by the cops with booze on their breath. They were waiting for punishment to be handed down. At the same time, they both seemed unsure of what that punishment was for, like their sudden aggression in the basement had grown foggy in their minds. Why would we smash our own equipment? Alex asked. Not really to anyone in particular. I think we can safely say that a connection was made tonight, Pam said. Yeah? So what do we do now? Megan asked. And Kate felt comfort in the we part of her question. Rather than what are they going to do, Megan was very much putting herself in this. We see what happens next, Pam said. You're shitting me, right? Kyle said, that solemn little kid being overtaken by the angry adult again. We just stuck our collective hand into a giant wasp's nest, and your suggestion is to just wait and see? This isn't anything like we've experienced before. No connection this strong, Kyle said, sarcasm on full. Evidently, this didn't register with the sisters. Aaron said, we've seen movement. Salt shakers sliding, temperature drops, candles blowing out. Events that aren't explainable, but can be lived with. This is uncharted territory for us, too. Is this that tenth time? Denny asked, kicking debris around with the nose of his shoe. What? Earlier, you said nine out of ten times. The restless spirit is just confused and wants help. Is this that last one you said we didn't need to worry about? Would you like our help cleaning before we go? Aaron asked, ignoring Denny's question. On the floor, Alex held out his arms in protest, like that wasn't his job. What do you mean, go? You're just going to bail on us? Kyle demanded. What more can we do right now? Pam asked. I think it's better if we all get some rest, avoid any more provocation, and come back together with fresh eyes tomorrow. Open minds, Aaron added. Easy for you to say, Kyle scoffed. You get to go home. We have to sleep in this. Like Megan, Kyle also said we, and Kate felt another swell of comfort knowing that at least for the rest of their visit, there were four people against the house instead of two. Don't worry about it. We can clean up, Denny said, defeated. Should we plan a time for tomorrow? Aaron took Alex's hand and helped him off the floor. He dropped the broken recorder onto the floor. How about ten? Kate asked. Deal. The three moved cautiously through to the carport door, trying to avoid stepping on anything and causing more damage. Kate followed and watched them hurry out to that damn green exterior and back out of the driveway. It was as if they had brought a tornado with them, let it off leash, and scurried away when things got out of hand. Two hours passed before the house was cleaned up. The couples had worked mostly in silence, sweeping and arranging the furniture. It was as if, once settled, they didn't want to risk talking about what had taken place 
or any other topic for fear that they would reignite not only the chaos found on the ground floor, but whatever gruesome images might be forced upon them. When they left each other's presence, they did so in pairs. Megan and Kate fetched spare lamps and bulbs from the attic, while Kyle and Denny hefted full garbage bags out into the carport. Once they were certain the glass and other sharp objects had been dealt with, Kate slid open the door to the porch. Echo and Roxy had been watching them clean through the glass, and they hesitated once the door was open, sniffing at the air. Hunger and thirst overruled their fears. They trotted in and went immediately to their food and water bowls. Around midnight, the couples decided that they should all sleep in the same room. That was the longest discussion they'd had since the Georgia Ghoul Society left. The option of a hotel was thrown around, but logistically, and with the dogs, it just wasn't feasible. Denny even suggested that they camp in the backyard, but that would have meant going back into the basement, as all the tents and gear were stored next to the toolbox, and that just wasn't a possibility, at least until the sun rose. Instead, they decided a sleepover was their best bet. Strength in numbers. Stick together, get some needed rest, then come back to this whole situation with fresh, sober minds in the morning. After sheets and pillows were gathered up, the ladies took two sides of the sectional couch while Kyle and Denny ducked inside sleeping bags on the floor. They left the lights on. Each of them lay awake at first, not speaking, but listening to the soft patter of rain that had begun to fall and they shared a collective thought. What have we done? This episode of The Ghost Modernist was presented by Dr. Scarelove. As always, theme music was provided by Atrium Carcheri. Please check the show notes for links to the incredible artists on the Cryo Chamber label. Follow me on Instagram for more updates. And if you're a fan of the story and haven't had the chance yet, please rate and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen, as each and every one helps me scare more people. And on that note, here's a shout out to Lantern Mom. Thanks so much for listening and for leaving such a heartfelt review. Reviews like yours make it all worth it. That's it for this week. Remember, there are two types of people in this world, the haunters and the haunted. Which one are you?